Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode will see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today's episode, we will be covering a topic that I'm extremely interested in. I'm very excited to do, uh, especially to be recording it on Halloween itself, the greatest of holidays, quite frankly. Uh, We're going to be talking about The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers, a.k.a. the antagonist slash, in some ways, protagonist of the Halloween franchise. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbeans, wherever your podcasts are served, and follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. Uh, I write about everything genre for Forbes, Blooper, uh, Slash Film, and if it's about monsters, I'm obsessed with it, and I'm so pleased to report to the fine folks at home that we have... All of our illustrious co-hosts on today, uh, we have Michael Vaughn. Hello. Uh, say hello, Mike. Thank you hello. so much for being here. We have the fantastic Luna Minwee. Hello. Um, who, when she's not on this fine thing, is doing all sorts of cool vampire ball, monsters ball, every sort <laughs> of beastie ball you can even imagine. It's true. Um, I gotta, gotta catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> Because she's that dedicated to the show. And, <laughs> and we have Andre Couture. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Happy Halloween. Anyone who's listening or just, you know, potentially behind me right now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Caught me. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and anyway, so this is a special episode because... Uh, you know, it's pretty much the, uh, you know, we've we've been celebrating with special episodes where uh, the, the, our co-hosts have taken turns hosting the show uh, because this is about the the um, Halloween week last year was when we started. So this is our one year anniversary and we are celebrating uh, completing the circle, if you will, by discussing the John Carpenter freaking classic. Um, so thank you all for joining us. So Halloween doesn't, if, if you're listening to this show, you don't need an introduction to what Halloween is as a film. <laughs> if, you're, if you're informed enough to like seek out and find the best podcast on monsters, you, you know the movie that everybody knows since 1978. But anyway, I digress. Uh, well, even John then, Carpenter's Halloween. The, uh, mm-hmm. the, I mean, even then, the setup is super minimal. Like, there's not really that much to it. Uh huh. Exactly. Like, just a couple sentences. So, so Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, 
starts out on this 1963 Halloween night where a six-year-old named Michael Myers just completely out of nowhere picks up a knife, puts on a mask, and kills his sister Judith. Uh, he's locked away for 15 years and escapes on October 30th, 1978. Steals a car, which he can drive for reasons. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Should he be able to drive so well? No, but he spends a lot of that film driving. I don't know. Moving on. <laughs> um, I love there's there's actually like a throwaway line in there where someone's like, how is he driving around? Like, I don't know. He's doing a good job of it. Maybe someone gave him lessons. That's kind of a paraphrase of lines that are in the film. <laughs> They're just like, he can. Moving on. Um, so he returns to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where um, uh, a number of local uh, uh, unfortunate people be, get, get in Michael's crosshairs. Um, including Laurie Strode, who, uh, you know, becomes the series' longtime protagonist because Jamie Lee Curtis is a literal living legend. So, um, you know, the, the, the film obviously started a franchise. Uh, Michael Myers became one of the iconic slashers uh, of, of film history. Uh, for, we also have John Carpenter to indirectly thank for friday the 13th because they literally were trying to just like copy and paste halloween success um and, that and was i'm gonna personally thank you john carpenter for making friday the 13th happen <laughs> continue <laughs> yeah that, that's fair i'll allow it uh, <laughs> and uh yeah literally one just came out to to much critical complexity but anyway um receptance it, they recepted it yes yeah it's been received like every <laughs> single review uh agreed that it was a film yes and <laughs> it contained michael myers um, <laughs> but, um evil dies tonight literally oh tonight God. so i'm sorry i'm gonna yeah. need to hear that 240 more times to to remember <laughs> Evil yeah, dies tonight. <laughs> well, okay. At the uh, folks at home, if you fast forward to the thirty-minute mark exactly for this show, uh, this episode, we're just gonna spend the uh, another sixty straight minutes just chanting "Evil dies tonight" in unison. And you'll hear me and weeping in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, like the next step, obviously, the, the show ends with us chasing down some random person that was there for plot reasons. Oh, or like, do you remember that woman that like had a um, like a um, oh, an iron to kill, like to try to kill Michael Myers, the Iron Lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you know that's not even the worst though, because the worst was the firefighter that tried to hose him. Wait, Margaret Thatcher showed up to try to kill Michael Myers. I think that could have worked. I mean, if there's, if you're gonna, I mean, you gotta to kill Michael. You gotta match evil for evil, and really few people could do the job. I mean, if you could get like Margaret Thatcher, uh, Tipper Gore, and Hillary Clinton together, uh, you know, like '90s Hillary Clinton or early 2000s Voltron. (laughs) Yeah, they would, they would put them fucking down. Like, I I think we're setting this reboot in the wrong era. Like, this needs to be (laughs) happening in like the late '80s, mid '90s. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. It's like the shape versus like uh, Halloween. I don't know, forty two. Like the shape versus Iron Lady. <laughs> I mean, you could even just do a um, Avengers Endgame thing where at the beginning, like he's already killed everyone, and they just show up, show up to his like his swamp hut, and they just cut his fucking head off, and then that's it. <laughs> but then they're like, "Oh no, we need, we got to reset the timeline and go back in time, and <laughs> they have to go through all of the different Halloween sequels and fix things." Yeah, know. exactly. Because you have like... to you have to prune the timelines. You said Avengers, yeah. but I'm thinking more celebrity deathmatch. <laughs> yeah you know it's funny okay when, whenever i say i'll allow it i hear judge mills lane from celebrity deathmatch yeah. saying i'll allow it in I'll my it. head every single time that's what i mean <laughs> thank you for getting me i feel understood <laughs> but yeah i um i love this uh, just fair warning though we can't make any more references to a certain um british prime minister because uh if you say her name five times she will come out of your mirror and uh, ruin, ruin Britannia. So, look here, I can, I got Tony Todd on my side. Let her come. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. yeah. <laughs> he can take her. That's true. Um, okay, well, moving on from British history. <laughs> Neoliberalism. Um, so, Andre, would you like to do our first review? Yes. So. Um, Halloween is like this was one of my first like true horror movies uh, like when I started indoctrinating myself into the genre um, I remember jumping in with the Friday the 13th movies because uh, they were the ones that seemed to be more outward like outwardly scary to me when I was a teenager <clears throat> But then I saw Halloween when I was about uh, maybe 16 or 17. And I didn't see what all the fuss was about. So I just thought it was fine. Um, But here's the thing. Uh, I revisited it about maybe five or six years later, uh, just out of getting out of college and... Um, something else has completely resonated with me where I didn't quite grasp like the, the unit of like, um, like a neighborhood that you live in and you kind of just like, uh, subconsciously trust the people who live in that neighborhood around you to, you know, just not go on a murdering spree. And that's kind of nice when that doesn't happen. Um, (laughs) But when Mm -hmm. that kind of shit does happen and you don't know what's happening or where this guy's going, um, it's a, it's a lot more terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that got me the most was just that final moment where Michael's done and he's just back at home. And then that's where the movie ends. Not a spoiler, um, but I don't know that something about that really chilled me. And from then on, it's been like it's been such an important uh, film for me. And it always kind of like shifts around based on what jumps out at me every single time I watch it. So mm-hmm. 
Um, so this is definitely a transcendent film for me. And with that being said, uh, this is one that's a bike. I would give it four and a half stars, like easily. Love it. Love it. Thank you for that. And also, um, just to kind of reinforce your point, I, I've lived in all sorts of neighborhoods and stuff, and I've been murdered no times. And that's um, a lot of trust. It's, that we know it's really nice to have never been murdered. Hmm. I have to try that sometime. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but yeah, Luna, you keep coming back though, so it's not exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's just exactly just like, see through my yeah. body ninety percent of the time. <laughs> like step one, bad day at work. Step two. <sighs> Welcome to the Halloween episode, <laughs> Doctor Claw. <laughs> I want soul. <laughs> um, I love answering the phone that way. Sometimes, like I freak people the fuck out. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I, I've started to take up uh, answering the phone. For like people who are clearly not anyone that I know, like maybe a telemarketer or whatever, uh, and I'll just like say shit. Like I'll pick up the phone and just say uh, "city morgue" and then just let them try to do their spiel, and then they'll be like, "Wait, what? Like who am I calling?" (laughs) (laughs) This is the morgue, sir or ma'am. I love that one. You stab them, we'll slab them. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) <laughs> Those are good. Um, I used to. Uh, so so I live in like a like a gated complex now because it's L.A. Um, so I haven't received like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever, like like proselytizing me in a long time. But I used to love to answer and just be like, praise be to the gods. The sacrifices have arrived, um, <laughs> which they think is odd. But um, I miss I miss being able to do that. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for your review, Andre. Um, I'm taking Farfield and I should not do that. <laughs> uh, lovely. Couldn't agree more. Um, Luna, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, so my experience with the film, I grew up in a very, um, non-horror household as in like, I wasn't allowed to watch any of it. I wasn't allowed to um, celebrate Halloween. No, like, costumes, trick-or-treating. And all all Halloween scary stuff was just, like, seen as bad. It, it's not necessarily that it was, like, satanic. And it wasn't like anyone mm-hmm. was... No one really said that. It was more like... My mom in particular was like really superstitious so that's just the house I grew up in and so I ended up just like being afraid of so much growing up that I then didn't even seek out horror until I was older so um when I was in college my boyfriend at the time um was like we should watch this movie and I I was like I don't know like it sounds like it's so scary. Everybody talks about it. I've seen people like line up at the theater for it. Like, you know, it's one of those iconic horror movies. It's, it, you, you can't tell me it's not going to be scary. Like it's going to be scary. I don't want to watch it. 
and then um and then I watched it and I was like first of all not scared super fun second of all this dude is more com- complicated than I thought like he's not just a slasher like there's more in there are more question marks behind that mask than I thought there would be um mm. and I just thought it was like brilliantly filmed I thought the music was amazing i love all the sounds that are that show up throughout the film i love the mask face breathing um so yeah i just kind of fell in love with it right up front and then i watched it again and again and again and again and um i i watch it several times a year it's just on my like I think if you listen to the if the thing episode is out before this one, which I don't know, but I mentioned that I watch that one all the time as well. Halloween is like right there next to it always. So those are my two John Carpenter return watch films, and I think it's perfect. I love it every. I enjoy it every single time. Um, so for me, five out of five. Love it. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And, and thank you for sharing your personal sort of history with it. Um, you know, it, it means more, uh, a lot to me, too, uh, which which I'll get a chance to go into. But um, it was really nice to kind of hear your your his, your sort of like relatively newer uh, adoption of the genre and that it, it kind of connected there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love he- I love hearing stories like that. Um, because it's such a personal genre for everybody, and and I know that this film means a lot to a lot of people, and the reasons are always different, and they're always cool to hear. Yeah, um, love it. Uh, Mike, would you like to go? Sure. Um, yeah. So I came to Halloween. Um, probably um, maybe like twelve, thirteen, which I think is kind of a pretty awesome age to to um, discover something like that, and. Um, yeah, I remember just being, like, surface level, just loving, like, Michael Myers and how scary it was, but then when I got a little older and started, um, really getting into, um, like, genre cinema, I mean, I think, like, like, initially, like, I really noticed the craft, I mean, like, the amazing cinematography, the, the pacing, the direction, um, the atmosphere, but it's only when you start to get a little older that you really appreciate just what they achieved on such a shoe budget, um, shoestring budget. Um, so yeah, it's, um, definitely a movie that has always really, um, resonated with me. Um, and uh yeah i mean it's um i mean gosh i mean you know there's been you know whole documentaries and and books about um halloween and and the sequels um so it's hard to add anything new but it's just incredible um i mean it's it's like um you can watch it a hundred times and i've have and i mean you still pick up a little um like things that you maybe didn't like see or notice um initially so 
Um, yeah. Um, so it is a damn good movie, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and really, it's it's one of those uh, timeless films. I mean, it's definitely one of those horror markers. Like you have like Peeping Tom and Psycho in 1960. You have Night of the Living Dead in 68. And then you have Halloween in 78. Um, it's definitely one of those uh, watershed moments for the genre. Mm-hmm. So I would give it a five out of five. Love it. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. I, I, I definitely um, feel like it is it is easily one of the most important slasher franchises ever. I mean, it's not like the first slasher, um, but it definitely is one of the first to really become a cultural phenomena. Uh, and 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 I I, I love your thoughts on it. Um, for me, it's interesting because, you know, as as uh, all of our illustrious co-hosts know, I um, don't <laughs> I don't really like slashers. Uh, not not as far as if we're comparing them to supernatural films or monster movies or uh, anything else, really, I love it. I'll consume it with a spoon, but, uh, but, and that's, that's literally true, but, but I don't like slashers that much because oftentimes they're, uh, they all feel just kind of the same to me. Like, oh, a different mask stabbing someone with a different object. Okay. Yay. And that's just not exactly my jam, but I uh, like absolutely love Halloween and especially the original because it's okay the original is actually a really good thriller and mm-hmm. the thing i like about uh michael myers relative to so many other uh slasher antagonists is that when he's interpreted right in a film the entire point and we'll get to this is there's this question about if he's something other than a man that the film literally explores in itself, you know, like it's not just something we talk about leaving the theater after watching him weirdly never die. It's something the actual characters interrogate. And so there's this interesting complexity and mythos uh, to, to Michael. And I also love that He's kind of in some ways interesting to me also because he's the opposite of I would I would say that in some ways he's the opposite of Freddy Krueger in, in this regard. Uh Freddy Krueger I love as a character because he's so big and brash and outlandish and has so much personality. Uh Michael Myers is interesting because there is a complete visible absence of personality. Like Michael Myers is a thing. Like not a person with complexity and he like him going out like uh, y'all mentioned and then killing a bunch of people and then coming back to his house and then like just probably just standing around till the next day he kills people. I don't know. Yeah. What well, he does in his off like time. Standing there. Like I don't I can't even say he's even looking out the window because I don't think his gaze like really extends that far unless he's in the like 
in his killing path or whatever. Yeah, like, like in the kill zone. Um, yeah. yeah, like it's it's just like a job for him, you know? He's like, oh, gotta clock in. Slash, slash, murder, murder, murder. Murder, murder, slash. And, uh, oh, time's done. Uh, I'll just throw in an extra off the clock and then stand around until it's the next time to kill people. <laughs> he's, he's nothing. He's just a blank slate. And I find that absolutely rare and fascinating. And then the original also is so accomplished technically in addition to the script just being a good demonstration of suspense that i got to give it a five out of five um legit john carpenter you rule good job yeah i mean it's job it's interesting when you say that he's like a, a blank slate and i think that's also just a credit to um john and deborah's brilliant writing mm-hmm. is yeah that could that could easily be and y'all know when you're like reviewing a movie that like you know you could or even just watching a movie like you can tell when like a character is like underwritten mm-hmm. and there's a fine line between underwriting something and then also purposely making it like a vessel for you to project whatever you want onto something yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that's so fascinating, and like how they're able to kind of do that without it making it feel, like I said, underwritten. So yeah, I feel like he's like the 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 antagonist version of like Twilight's Bella Swan, where that's just like a blank protagonist like slate. Yeah, I was kidding. There's there's nothing like yeah, Michael's a great I'm like, character. Uh, where are you going with this, Jeff? <laughs> no, 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 Michael's a great character, but I I totally think you're right because sometimes characters are underwritten and there isn't much there. But there's but the the mystery of Michael Myers is exactly the point, and the blankness of the character in the mask is intentional to give the character something to try and understand and wrestle with. I think it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I feel like this lack of just typical slasher, like kill until you get caught thing is Mm -hmm. is what makes him more complex to me. Like Mm -hmm. this whole idea, like he keeps doing like just enough to be interesting, like the whole um, gravestone, his sister's gravestone thing. Yes. Like I was just like, wait, what? The whole like. It's all like it's like he's trying to recreate the kill, but all of this is just me projecting it onto literal the shape, and right. I I recognize that, but I enjoy myself doing that because I'm like I don't fucking know, I don't know why he's doing this. It's mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Yeah, no, that's I'm so glad you brought that scene up because that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole th- thing because he doesn't really. He exhibits intelligence in a tactical way, right? Like in the, he knows when to watch you. And like he stalks Lori for a long time before. He doesn't just go after her with knife, you know? Like he's watching and he's scouting. And he shows a lot of intelligence there. Um, But otherwise, we don't have any idea what he's thinking. If he's has an IQ of 250 or an IQ of 5. Like we don't. Yeah. have a way to tell except when like he's like setting the scene after or before a kill 
there's a weird intelligent malice to it. Like that scene is so personal mm-hmm. and so complex and vicious that yeah. it's uh, every time I'm just like floored by it. And I've seen it a billion times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and the, the uh, bed sheet one mm-hmm. scene, like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's like weirdly whimsical. It, yeah. Yes. Exactly. That so that I'm like, got goofy, but it it knew when to pull back. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like so. You're. Yep. It, it felt like again me projecting onto the character that he was like, "Well, is this how you human? Is this? Yeah, 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 yeah." And like, then, the, like yes. she was joking with mm-hmm. him, and and so if, if I, she thinks I'm him, this is humaning. Nah, this is yeah. stupid. I'm gonna kill her. That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> like, I actually, I love that. The only reason why that doesn't get too goofy for me is because under the sheet, he's still Michael Myers standing around like an awkward murder machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, like, try and really mimic the guy. He, like, puts on the thing because he's down with the masks and the costumes and then, like, just stands around like a, uh, just like you said, like, uh, I don't, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something weird about him wearing a costume over another costume. Yeah, exactly. Well, he also put the sunglasses on too, so like, exactly, maybe yeah. just to make it look like nothing had happened, or yeah, maybe he wasn't sure what he's gonna do. But there was just this weight. <laughs> See, yeah, I would like to think way. that Michael Myers. I really hope he's costumes all the way down. i I hope that it's like take the glasses off take the ghost off take the myers mask off and it's just like william shatter and then you take that face off and then it's like a pumpkin you take that face off and it's a witch like (laughs) it's like a scooby-doo episode where they just keep ripping the mask off and like there's just more masks underneath and like That's what I hope that Michael Myers really is. He's really just like a series of costumes all the way down, like Russian dolls. <laughs> or like he could just be like a tulpa. Like there's just nothing underneath there, and he's just like a like a you know a manufactured yeah. person, which could also Absolutely. be a really cool way to you know take the cult of thorn mm-hmm. shit and just do something mm. actually interesting with that. But I don't think anyone's going to. No. I love it. So, so instead of like, how about for Halloween ends, instead of, uh, and I don't mean this in any insulting way, um, but instead of David Gordon Green, let's have the, the gent who did the empty man <laughs> do it. <laughs> Michael's just a manufactured being just for murder, for murder purposes. Murder. <laughs> I would say, uh, oh. let's get Paul Rudd in that sequel. Let's bring him back. Well, supposedly, <laughs> so there was a rumor that they wanted him for Halloween Kills, but obviously he's Paul Rudd, so he's doing like a billion things right now. But mm-hmm. yeah. it sounded like, well, from what I heard, they wanted him, he wanted to do it, and it just was like a schedule situation. But that would have been yeah. awesome. And yeah. So, like, Jeff, going back to, what, like, what you were saying with, like, the whole, like, 
Tombstone and um, all that stuff. I mean, I, I I think it's interesting because it kind of taps into that like ritual aspects of the season mm-hmm. of yep. um, just almost like the the you know the gravestone and laying her out like that is almost like an altar kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and, you also and a, don't lug out a gravestone like that without a good reason. Yep. Yeah, because that's an elaborate process, especially to do unseen. Yeah. Right? Like, he went through effort, you know? You know, and the thing is, I mean, it's it's so scary because it's like, he can just be anywhere, and he, I mean, it's, it's Halloween, so anybody dressed up in a costume is not going to be... Mm-hmm. You know, even people doing like quote unquote weird things, you might just chalk it up to like a prank or whatever. Absolutely, they do that at the end, towards the end of the film. Like she's screaming for help, and they're just like, "Ugh, kids doing tricks!" You know, yeah. on Halloween night, go to bed, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. Halloween night is the perfect night for something like this to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's like so um, I want to go in kind of a, a little bit to the origins of the film, and then we can talk about the origins of the shape and uh, the reason why we're we're saying the shape, not Michael Myers, is because for the first two films, that's how Michael Myers was written in the script. Like the character, the boy that kills the sister is Michael Myers, but the being that is doing the killing in the Halloween movies is the shape. And that's how he's referred to in the actual script and in the credits. Uh, which is is interesting. But so, um, I gave a shout out to John Carpenter. I also have to, to give a shout out to his uh, writing and producing partner, Deborah Hill, who is also a freaking legend. Um, worked with Carpenter in a number of his, uh, uh, number of his best films. Um, and, uh, Mike, you actually had something about the, that you wanted to mention about the film's origins. You want to go ahead? Yeah. Um, oh, one second. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, there actually was, um, like a quote unquote babysitter killer, um, that actually would have been about this um, about the same time as uh, you know like like mid to late seventies. Um, so um, it, it's sometimes called the babysitter killer, but it's also kind of known as the Oakland County child killer. So um, basically, um, like how it sounds. Um, there's been at least four victims, possibly more, of um, kids that were being baby uh, babysat, and um, this occurred between 1976 and 1977. Um, and this is kind of—I um, don't know if this is like kind of the basis for um, like the urban legend of the the babysitter. Um, but it definitely uh, kind of reinforced that. Um, and I-, I can't imagine that this didn't, like, in part inspire um, 
John and Deborah um, to mm-hmm. uh, come up with some someone that was stalking babysitters. Um, so, um, pretty interesting. They think that they know who did it, but um, they had two suspects. One died, and one is in prison, and they've never actually been able to prove who did it. Um, the victims were as young as 10, um, and they were primarily um, shot or stabbed to death. Mm. Ooh, that's, so, that's, that's unsettling. Yeah, mess uh. up. Um, yeah, so again, um, I've never, I've watched a lot of Halloween um, documentaries, and I've never heard them mention that that was the inspiration, but just, I mean, presumably they were like filming it in like 76, 77 while this was going on. So this would have mm-hmm. been like big news. Um, a, yeah, definitely in the, like the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, then, I, um, Carpenter, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andre. Oh, um, Carpenter also talked about, uh, he visited, um, a, a mental hospital, I think. And he, um, let's see if I can find this. Yeah, he was on a class trip at a mental institution in Kentucky, and uh, he visited what is quoted as saying the most serious mentally ill patients. And among those patients was a young boy around 12 to 13 years old. And he gave him this schizophrenic stare, quote, uh, a real evil stare, which Carpenter found unsettling, uh, creepy, completely insane. And he cites that as an inspiration for the characterization of Michael that Loomis uh, has diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, what, what, like, whether or not, like, how much the the actual babysitter murder uh, influenced it, I think. If it was, then I, it seems like Deborah and John Carpenter are, they definitely composited one on top of the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if anything, just came up with a series of uh, like mechanic killings or slayings that just happened to line up with, with real life, which in my mind makes it even <laughs> kind of scarier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could yeah. definitely see where it maybe was like a coincidence, but I mean, it just being a, just at that same time where they probably would have been filming it. I mean, I can't imagine that it wouldn't have been like in the news and yeah, you know, zeitgeist at the time. So, and just to yeah. like, I understand what John Carpenter was trying to convey when what you were reading dre andre um like i but also just because you have schizophrenia doesn't mean you're evil so true yeah i I just wanted to put that out there just the way that you know like a schizophrenic evil stare it's like just because you have schizophrenia doesn't mean that you have it you're evil and just because you're staring off because you're dissociating doesn't mean you're evil. Right, just right, right. Putting it out there. I know that's not what anybody did. meant. And yeah, you know, I mean, but what I'm reading from also- has a schizophrenic stare as one quote and then a real evil stare as a separate quote, but no indication if those two are 
connected in any way. Uh, you like, would imagine, especially given the time that they probably did conflate the two. Um, yeah, a lot of people do. I'm just saying, you know, we've it, we've come we've come along from that. Yeah, right, right, right. Fine. And I, also, we're not trying to uh, say that that Carpenter himself was making that conceptual slide. Right. Um, this was his attempt to express that he appeared to be witnessing an evil stare and right. is attempting to explain the stare, but he's not saying he we're not putting words in John Carpenter's no. mouth or trying to. No. I, I think he might just be superimposing the idea of Michael Myers, like in right. recollection to like what he experienced and felt and thought yeah. while he was at the right. mental hospital and then having this moment with that kid. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's how you create art. Exactly. And then and then one element that he added to it, too, um, is he he mentioned uh, in in the original 1973 Westworld film, he took a little bit of inspiration from Yul Brenner's portrayal of a, you know, to quote, killer robot that couldn't be killed mm. um, as as a partial influence for raising Michael Myers in the status of the film from like a killer to like a mythical unkillable figure. Neat. I can see that. Yeah. 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 It's very so, cool. So shout out to Yul Brynner as well. Um, but yeah, exactly. So it's a composite of all these different intellectual sources uh, and personal experiences. And they chose the name reportedly of Michael Myers in honor of the European distributor of Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. So that's where they got the name Michael Myers. Um, yep. Yeah, and like, is it like, his Myers is spelled different, right? I believe so. If I'm, if I'm recalling that correctly. Um, like his is, um, the actual producer guy was M-E-Y-E-R. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a little... Yeah, like the wiener. Yeah, exactly. Wiener. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. <laughs> yeah, I get you. Um. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then, uh, so so it's interesting. It comes from all these composite sources. Um, and also, fun fact: he got Loomis from the name of. Uh, it comes from Psycho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um. Yeah, and it's kind of awesome because it's another connection with um, Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee and Psycho. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the opening shot of the house is um, a recreation of A Touch of Evil, which um, obviously is in Psycho, but um, also had Janet Lee in it. Um, or like um, Touch of Evil had Janet Lee in it. I yep. forgot about that. That's a great fun fact. Yep. Um, most facts are fun, if I'm being honest. I like knowledge. <laughs> there are some facts. I said, I said most. I... Yeah, like the fact of black licorice existing. <laughs> I, I'd forget that if I could. Um, so, I know I said this in my review, but like, I just watching it now and even, like, watching it, like, when I first watched it and, and watching it now it's like i still just bowled over by just the 
craftsmanship of it. Like it's so simple and it was just incredible that it was made on such a small budget. Like I think they said it was like seven hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand. Um but I mean there's just so much smart, lean, efficient, beautiful filmmaking. Like like I said, like taking the one of the shots from Touch of Evil and, you know, creating a, their own homage to it. I, I mean, that's something that you wouldn't really see in a lot of, like, quote-unquote mm-hmm. slashers, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, and one of the things that you really have to give Carpenter credit for uh, is, like, on on the technical level is a lot of these like the reason why why psycho is such a good film the plot the plot works it's very well structured it's very suspenseful right good performances but but hitchcock brings a technical savvy to it that makes it really stand out in its era and that's another thing i think that helped halloween really be received well and get great word of mouth in in the late 70s because Carpenter made a very technically accomplished film. Uh, part of the reason the shots are so cool is he used like uh, the Panaglide um, camera stabilization system. And Halloween was the fourth movie. It became a huge thing. It was used a lot by Terrence Malick and other, other accomplished auteur, auteur directors. And Halloween was the fourth movie to ever use it. Wow. Yeah. I think yeah, one I knew, of those I was uh, Black Christmas, right? Like they kind of uh, made it on the spot because they had to have the uh, the killer in Black Christmas climb this trellis outside of the building, and they wanted a POV shot of that, but they had to show both hands, you know, of the killer mm-hmm. climbing. So they had to just come up with something on the spot, and that might have been one of the first, if not maybe the first, but you know, it's hard to document this stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Of, of its kind. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's very difficult, but that was one of the, the early ones too. Um, I mean, that's kind so. of, I think it's kind of a, also a good like segue. Um, Cause I know that you almost kind of had to talk about it because, um, you know, there's this interesting thing that like, apparently like, John Carpenter is almost kind of bitter to the fact about Black Christmas. Um, Like, I know that there's, I mean, there's so much that's been said about it. I mean, it's almost like kind of lore at this point, but supposedly um, Halloween was supposed to kind of be like a spiritual sequel to Black Christmas. Um, But I think John has angrily denied this but i mean i mean you can still certainly see it that way but you know there's yeah there's still their own different things oh sure and you know like i know a, a, a lot of people like to give black christmas a lot of credit but i think some of that credit also kind of belongs to mario bava who kind of set the template basically um for a lot of like body count films but 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because, I mean, it definitely is maybe, like, um, maybe besides Peeping Tom, like, one of the first um, movies to do, like, the killer POV situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, which was, like, a big thing in Halloween, obviously. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I know that, like, he kind of ends up, ended up kind of resenting Black Christmas, which... I don't get because I think it's it more it's more than um, earns its kind of reputation for being a classic. Um, I don't think it takes away anything. I still think that both movies are brilliant on their own terms. Um, well, I would say that ultimately yeah. too. Like like uh, I mean, I would say Black Christmas and Halloween are kind of co accepted as the first like beginnings of the slasher genre with Jallo and Psycho and maybe Peeping Tom and uh being like proto slashers. Um like a transitional almost is is the way that I've heard it talked about a lot. Yeah. Um and yeah. so Black Christmas definitely gets its credit, but in the popular discussion, um people that aren't like died in the wool horror fans usually do give Halloween a ton of credit. So I don't really see them as detracting from the reputation of Halloween any. Sure. And you know what? I really, if you really want to get technical, I feel like Baba's Bay of Blood 1971 was kind of like the OG body count film. Yeah. But then you could even go back and say, well, you know, it's roots in, you know, Agatha Christie. With I, w- like I would say like, even you could, um, you could trace it some to Night of the Hunter. Um, in terms of plot construction, uh, yeah, M, even though that stuff happens off screen, yeah, 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 um, but I mean, it's just messy, you know, yeah, I mean, it, so I don't think that it, like, I have fun debating whether, like, what is the quote unquote first slasher or like the origins and stuff. I mean, I don't take it that's, I mean, I don't take it seriously enough to get offended. I I guess I'll say, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always, I, I mean, I always feel like stuff like Bay of blood and peeping Tom and psycho and, um, black Christmas definitely paved the way, um, Mm -hmm. For uh, yeah. for uh, Halloween, um, I mean nothing's created in a vacuum, right? I mean we're all a product of influences, unless you made the right. very first film, you know, right? Um, and even then, you're influenced by other um, media um, that came before it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but to kind of like dig into to Myers a little bit because we we've, we've broached the sources that influenced the the character's creation it's interesting because um you know when carpenter describes myers it really reinforces the way that the characters uh in halloween try and figure out how to even understand this this entity killing people around haddonfield uh because carpenter so in, in the documentary cut above the rest um, Carpenter talks about how uh, 
there's this quote like about Michael make him human, yes, but almost like a force that will never stop. Um, and then in this uh, 2016 press conference, Carpenter uh, has this quote: "Michael Myers is not a character; he's a force of nature. He's not a person. He's part supernatural, part human. He's like the wind, an evil wind. If you start stra- uh, straying away from that and you get into explaining, then you've lost it." Um, so basically, f- for him. Uh, Michael Myers as a character is this ambiguous um, thing that, you know, like Loomis repeats as a character all the time, that he's evil incarnate. He's like this this killing force of nature that can't be stopped. Mm-hmm. But what differentiates, I think, because there's, there's so many different um, paths and timelines in the Halloween franchise and reboots. So you have um, uh, Halloween H2, uh, you have the 78 H2, uh, H, apparently you're supposed to call it H20, I guess, but it's H2O. Yeah, um, I've always called it H2O. It's really weird. Everyone does. Yeah, whatever. That's H- H2O. I'm just going to say that's right. Um, and then. Uh, what's the one that comes after H2O, the really bad one that shall not be... Resurrection. Resurrection, where Buster Rhymes jumps up and says, trick or treat, motherfucker, and then he kicks him in the face or something. (laughs) Which is a great scene. Five-star moment. Five-star moment. Easily a five-star moment. But otherwise, I like to forget that one, because H2O is is actually a really good ending to that timeline. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, um, I, I don't want to get too much in the details, but the way that they retcon that final moment in H2O um, was just like, that was kind of insulting. Yeah. yeah like, really? Yeah. Uh, like, so, like, I like to act like that doesn't exist. And so, yeah. so yeah. timelines, you have H, uh, Halloween, Halloween 2, H2O as one timeline. And then you have the option of Halloween, uh, Halloween 2, and then 4 through 6. Which is the whole uh, curse of Thorn? Like he's a cursed, murdery immortal kind of. Which I like that for terrible. the record. I don't care. Yeah, I, I do too. I subscribe <laughs> to uh, Cult of Thorn magazine. Um, you know, <laughs> they, they do their their seasonal. I got I got the almanac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I would say, like the H two O timeline is the better if you just take those three films it's the best mm-hmm. arc yeah but because yeah. h2o is actually a pretty satisfying end for for laurie strode's whole conflict with michael myers but i love i love the curse of thorn stuff it's fucking bonkers and they're not all like four five and six are not equal in quality but i just conceptually love it so much yeah it's a fun <laughs> it's yeah. a fun little journey to go on yeah, I mean, it is right. They're making a mythos. It's great. You could also um, so one that I'm kind of playing with is you do one and two, like the first two, and then okay. you just jump okay. to six because like you don't have mm-hmm. to know anything about Jamie Lloyd from four or five okay. to, to yeah, understand yeah. six, and then like uh, Laurie's not in six, so it's pretty much just Tommy Doyle, the the little boy that um, Laurie Strode babysits in the first one uh and then like he grows up so like the the mantle of like keeping tabs on michael myers kind of shifts because like after the Mm -hmm. end of two um like 
Laurie's been through a lot, like a lot. Um, yeah. And not just because like in four and five, there's some really good uh, Sam Loomis like character moments, uh, which is for me the best parts of the fourth and the fifth movie. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of humanizing that happens with Michael Myers in those, which I'm not, I wasn't too down with, but um, th- those are mixed bags for me. But um, sure. just the the hard left or the hard right, you know, whatever direction that it just suddenly swerves into for Curse of Michael Myers is just mm-hmm. um, it's both schlock perfection and something interesting that they did with with Michael where he's mm-hmm. still not a character, but he's they're showing that he is being manipulated. And um, they even get yes. to do a little uh, like Devil's Reign little moment there, especially nice. in the producer's cut. Like there's a it's a yeah. moment where they have this like satanic altar, and then you just see Michael Myers on the sideline, and he's just like standing there, and he just looks like a henchman, and it's actually <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but it, it doesn't cheapen. <laughs> like, like, I want to how... kill you, but you know I gotta wait for the boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean I will say like say what you will about six, like it does have its issues, but I do like how you can tell that the filmmakers were really trying to tap back into um like really getting into the um like I don't know, like the like the really getting into like the roots of this of the holiday. Like you have that really wonderful scene with Mrs. Blankenship who is telling um oh what's that kid's name? Um was it Danny? Oh god damn it. Um well anyways I'm sneezing. Child human. Yeah, the, the human <laughs> that child. Um and you know, she's talking about like the bonfires and just like how, you know, like what the real origin of the season is. And, you know, again, I conceptually felt like I knew where they were going. I mean, again, it has its problems. I feel like a lot Mm -hmm. of that is probably like studio interference, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you can definitely see that they were trying to really bring back something that was a little more like tonally closer to the first film. Um, and I think though- that all these like offshoots, all the different mm-hmm. plot, uh, I guess avenues that you can choose to go down. Like, I think that they are all a product of how well-written Michael Myers is because mm-hmm. if he, if he were to, two-dimensional and he was just like kill 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 i kill bar bar halloween bad kill Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't be able to get all this complexity out of all these different alternate timelines and what it what does it mean what is he doing why is he doing it all like you wouldn't be able to do any of that because it would be freddy but yeah yeah yeah. not freddy i'm sorry jason yeah no i know what you mean yeah yes but like if um but because he's got all of this, like you could tie in mythos, you can tie in, he could just be brute killer. He could be, you mm-hmm. know, really 
that whole like gotta be tied to the family, gotta kill everybody in the family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there's always something that you can go you can latch on to in these sequels. Mm-hmm. It's just someone, some creator said I like this for Michael Myers and then they created a path. But literally anybody can start over at any point because he's so mm-hmm. he's such a blank slate. Yeah, yes, I mean he's 100%. He's so yeah. malleable that you can pretty much do anything. And you know, I just I kind of had a crazy thought and I'll I'll tell you and you can tell me if I'm crazy or not, but like I almost feel like Myers has a lot in common with um Spielberg's Jaws. I was As in, bring that up, yeah. Yeah. Like I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, they're both forces of nature. They're both uh, you know, they are like basically unstoppable, um, almost borderline supernatural. But well, then, should be something that you can understand and for some reason that's not explained, they aren't. Yeah, yeah, and they both have black eyes, right? Yep. Yeah, they <laughs> both have that, that that one moment where you have Robert Shaw talking about uh, like a doll's eyes, and yep. then Sam Lewis is saying uh, the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, this blank, pale, emotionless face, and it's yeah, you could totally just um, see him as like just a human shape, but with like a shark's um, motive. Like totally. What, like when he jumps to like the moment, he always makes the most of the moment when he is like when he's in killing mode, when he has his knife on him or, you know, if he's in a place where he can use something as a weapon, cause he doesn't always use a knife, whatever. Um, okay. But yeah. Uh, also something that was brought up in uh shutters really great start to their behind the monsters series where their first episode was on Michael Myers, the shape. Um, someone said that it was, uh, so Michael Myers is like something that everyone projects, like the thing that they fear the most onto is he's, mm-hmm. he's a blank slate. He's, he's not a person. Even the mask that he wears is very, uh, visually nondescript, but also, just detailed enough to be frightening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of the filmmakers who come to the franchise after the first one uh, are bringing to that is their, their projection, their interpretation of like what mm-hmm. scares them about Michael Myers. So in that sense, it's, it's a successful series. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, and that's actually uh, about the mask. It's a really good point because, okay. So, um, Taking it back, and then and then, uh, so, so the mask, we we all know now that it is actually a Captain Kirk mask. Um, the prop department was had to find a f- mask that was frightening that the villain could wear, but also that was very cheap because they didn't have a huge budget for masks. Um, so they grabbed two. They found this uh, clown mask that was scary. Uh, they put ri- like frizzy red hair on, and it's kind of um, reflects the mask that he kills his sister. He wears when he's killing his sister as a child. Um, well, he tested it out. They thought it was creepy. 
But they ultimately went with, um, they took the 75 Captain James Kirk mask they got for a buck. And uh, it had, you know, they, they ripped the sideburns and the, the eyebrows off and the, it was painted um, white. His hair was spray painted down and the eyes were kind of opened more and reshaped a little bit. And it was ultimately decided that because it's it's blank slate emotionlessness was even creepier um, and refl- and matched Michael better. Uh, so because that's the character, too. It's a it's a lovely, like, tide reflection. And so that's what they went with. And William Shatner did not notice this. It speaks to your point. Exactly. It's uh, it, it's iconic enough in that we can look at that from across the room and say that's from Halloween. That's the Michael Myers mask. And when they use a different mask in a different film, fans will be like, that's not the same mask. We can tell, right? But it's expressionless and blank enough that William Shatner did not know that was supposed to be his face. It honestly looks the most like him in two. Like, it looks so much like like William Shatner. There's like, there's something lighter about the mask. Like, it's... It's got like a meteor look to it, if that makes any sense at all. Sure. And then like, sure. yeah, the way that the masks um, morph over the ser- the different films in the series is interesting mm-hmm. uh, conceptually, but uh, for one movie, just kind of annoying and slightly angering because there's there's a history of, uh, I think it was four. Four is the one I'm talking about, where uh, they shot most of the movie with this one mask ask that like what everyone was talking about how it was the best one since the first or the second and they they just lost it like i think they lost the mask or they lost the footage something like that so they had to reshoot all this stuff with a new mask that they just slapped together and that's the one that we see in like the current cut of uh i, I think it is halloween four where it just looks oh, okay. bad I mean, the, the yeah. thing is, I don't understand. I mean, couldn't they just literally buy another Kirk mask and just recreate it? Or th- couldn't they even, yeah. like, couldn't they even just, like, do molds of the original? I, I don't understand why that was such... I think they were pressed for time. Or, like, the the producers were like, like, who cares? Just get a mask and shoot it. Um, like, no one's going to know. It's Michael Myers. Which is yeah. odd, because that's the one thing that everyone's going to know. Especially when uh, they were so pissed off by three that they demanded Michael Myers come back. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> they did that. And then that's what he looked like. <laughs> no, it's like, uh, well, thank you for the backstory on four. Because, um, yeah, so if you have these trajectories, it's just kind of funny because it kind of. Um, uh, like Luna saying, he's such like a well-written blank slate that you can put a lot of your own interpretive flair on it. And I would say that Carpenter's take on the character is that he's a force of nature and it's supposed to remain ambiguous. And that would be what I would attribute to be his stance. Because that's the way that he writes it. And, and that's the point. Like, mm-hmm. is he something more than a man? I don't know. Because the point is that he's a legend. And they're debating that in the film. Right? right. For some mm-hmm. reason, you can't kill him. Nobody knows why. For some reason, he's killing people. Nobody really knows why. 
Um, and then you have like the Halloween H two H H two O one where he's you know mostly unkillable but like still ultimately mortal. And then four through six, he's a cursed immortal, and that's how they answer it. And then there's um, the new ones where it's like Halloween, the 2018 one, Halloween Kills, where it it it's building up to is he more than human? But ultimately, David Gordon Green said his interpretation is that Michael's very much human, so it probably will end him until it's rebooted again. Um, <laughs> it is going. And then to- the Rob Zombie, which are. Also movies. What you say? Hmm? They are also (laughs) movies. Yes, (laughs) those are movies. That's for sure. I would say that like the first one isn't terrible, but the problem is that I like like Rob Zombie knows his horror for sure. Um, but I think that he misunderstands the character of Michael Myers because his contribution to retelling the first film was to focus too much more on getting us to understand Michael, the young human, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, not understanding is entirely the point. Or at least I mean, not uh, being there to see like the slow transformation or like fading away of the personality right. and the humanity. Right. But yeah, again, it's I, just another interpretation. So yeah, yeah the, exactly. The source material is is so conducive to that. Yeah. Like, precisely, exactly. I, like I don't necessarily think that he misunderstood it. I think that he just wanted to do something that was different. So I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, like lately, and I was thinking like it, it's almost like he had to have known it, it's going to be damned if you do, damned if you don't. The the probably the reasonable response to that was don't remake it at all. But I will say it's ballsy of him to say, okay, I get that John Carpenter was trying to say that, you know, maybe this is a man, maybe this is something that's, you know, almost like a fortunate uh, force of nature. But uh, you know, to Andre's point, I think it's more heartbreaking when you see a person that devolves and decays in front of your eyes into something that's blank yeah. and nothingness. And not only that, but just how it affects the people around him. Like, um, so first of all, I... I love Sherry Moon Zombie, and I don't care what anybody says. I think she's awesome. She works. She's good. Um, and her scene um, right before she commits suicide is heartbreaking because you 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 see that it's not just like oh you know he's an awful killer. You, you think like how does that affect? your loved ones. I mean, right. Like you, Mm -hmm. you know, even any mass murderer, I mean, they had a mother and a father. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, I, I think that, I think that Rob Zombie was very much aware of 
what the mystique and allure around Michael Myers was. I think that it was almost maybe a challenge to himself to say, how can I reinterpret this material? Um, yeah. I think he was onto something like, like, uh, in that conversation, like there's the heartbreaking nature of like a mother trying one last time to like reach out to her son who she knows is slipping away. And like, you still have that hand out to help them, but they, they, uh, actively choose to like slip behind a facade and that's exactly what he uh, admits like when he says you know i I like wearing masks i want to hide my ugly face something like that where um i think earlier the whole time when we're following him in the mental institution uh he he seems to want to say something about um how masks give us this this hidden power where like we hide our true identity behind something that uh everyone else will take as a new identity that comes with it like untold uh like powers and privileges where mm-hmm. um that could be like the catalyst for something that would be considered as just pure evil, which is definitely mm-hmm. something that could be a component in the original movies, but it was never really touched on like the, like the power of masks or, you know, just the simple fact of hiding your true identity is one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It, it seems like Rob Zombie spent a little bit too much time inserting uh, importance on like the the psychic or sorry the uh like the psychosis of Michael Myers rather than the like almost ritualistic fascination with um uh just turning into a different persona almost at will yeah yeah i would, I would agree with that cuz i w- i want to be really clear that i'm not saying uh like rob zombie doesn't like like he's dumb, whatever he doesn't understand it. Like I'm definitely not saying that. Um, yeah. I'm uh, because obviously what, what whether or not you like uh, his the style, uh, what have you. Two things that are very clear: Rob Zombie knows his horror back and forth and side to side. And two, he very much has a consistent vision and an aesthetic, and. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a very intentional filmmaker, and you might not like his style. It might not be for you. Great. But he definitely does what he intends to, and it's never accidental. Yeah, I mean, like, he never, like, I don't think he compromised, like, I, like, I don't think he, I I think, I was going to say he doesn't compromise his vision, and I think that, you know, even when, like, the studio might want him to do something a little more conventional because I feel like I remember interviews where he said that he liked Halloween two more because they let him almost kind of go off and do whatever he wanted because, you know, he had to go somewhat through the motions in the first one just to sure. Um, almost appease the studio. Um, yeah, but I will say that I don't care what anyone says about his Halloween two. It takes balls to make a 
art house Ken Russell slasher film. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm living for it. I love it. I mean, I know it's bad, and like, I still just think it's so fascinating. Like, I like, yeah, it's it's overly long. Like, his dialogue is all is very hit or miss, but it, it it's like doing it like an art house film is so fucking interesting and yeah. and ballsy. Um, yeah, because I, I would say that like, like even though Rob Zombie's definitely hit and miss for me as a filmmaker, we're all better off he's making movies because because he has a consistent voice and it's interesting, even if it's not your thing. Like it's just like uh, you know M Night Shyamalan's the his films, you know his filmography. The quality may vary depend on <laughs> you and and how you see them. But we're all better off that he's taking big swing new ideas and not just like regurgitating existing IPs all the time. Yeah. And and listen, the very fact that we're still debating and talking about them should tell you something. Um, mm-hmm. yep. So, I mean, I think like full stop Lords of Salem is a masterpiece. I love that movie. Unironically, um, I just really, really dig it. I mean, es- um, especially when you like realize like how completely derailed that production was like didn't like one of the main actors die and they had to like scramble to rewrite and it was just i heard it was the production was a nightmare so the fact that it even like came out as good as it did is kind of a miracle um yeah i will say one thing that uh andre your your comment about rob zombie's first one um I'm going to actually fold this into what I consider the final Halloween timeline. Um, uh, and now I have a new take on it, which is my, my former take was the fifth timeline you can choose is Halloween one and then Halloween three, which are just a love letter to masks. And that is what unifies them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so now that 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 timeline is Halloween 1, Halloween 3, and Rob Zombie's first Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Which I understand linking all those together as a timeline you can choose violates all known human decency, but I'm I'm officially doing that right now. Um because they're all about how like putting on the mask is makes you something different than what you are in a sense. Um and, and like, the reasons might vary, but they yeah. very much do. It's it's too bad that he didn't get to like do maybe like a third one because like I think he would have had a really good time just uh adapting the Jim Carrey film. Yeah. He which would've. would be a great <laughs> I would actually kinda like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Release the Rob Zombie eyes wide shot cut. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's I... what I want. I do have to say that, like, my long, long time stance since the day, like, I, I explained my how, how I came to watch Halloween, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, like, I really like this, so I watched Halloween 2, and all that long after that, and then I was like, oh, my God, great, let's put on Halloween 3, and then it Michael Myers wasn't in it, and I understand what was supposed to be happening then, but I will never be able to get over my disappointment and horror that there was a whole ass 
movie in the franchise that didn't have the guy from the <laughs> franchise in it. And it just pisses me off to this day. Sure, the sure. movie is fine, but it just call it season of the witch. We can, we can, we have the power. We can retcon. It's fine. We can just be like, yeah. look, I mean, they do it all the time. Right. Like yeah. we know that this was supposed to be part of the Halloween thing, but the Halloween thing is different now. It's not Halloween three. It's just season of the witch. Fine. Great movie. Yeah, I think their Why? biggest mistake was calling it Halloween Why? 3. Why call it Halloween 3? What yeah. a misleading gimmick. <laughs> or just right. like Halloween well, then, Season of the Witch. You know, the other something. Yeah, the other hard part is that um, that made it odd is that it's very it made it extra weird that they do Halloween and then they do a proper Michael Myers centric sequel and then decide to go anthology. Exactly. Weird. I was just like, I yeah. could not. You could. I was just like sitting there up until the like end of the movie. Like he's gonna come out any moment. Where is right. he? It's like like what like, the fuck? It, exactly. It's like um. It'd be like if you have, you know, a nightmare on Elm Street, and then you have a nightmare on Elm Street 2, and Freddy, Freddy Krueger, great. And then uh, a nightmare on Elm Street 3, Freddy's got fingered, and it's Freddy's got fingered, and there's no Freddy Krueger. It's a different <laughs> Freddy. So, Why? That's just will, weird to not do it off, you know, from the get-go. Yeah, I, I will kind of argue, though, that I feel like I always, I know it's like, Hall- like Halloween 2 is a sequel, obviously, but I always feel like it's just a like a second um i feel like you know since it's the same night i just kind of feel like it i just feel like one and two is basically like one movie i don't know yeah there's actually I understand that there. In, in hindsight like you know like looking but like to release a movie and then you're like here's halloween two okay neat same going on with the timeline all right here's halloween three not at all the same there was time between Halloween and Halloween 2. It's not I, like it was like, I know it wasn't a lot of time, but it was still like Halloween is one movie, not to be continued. It is a movie. Yeah. I mean, I think that we could do something like that now just because we're more primed for like um, bottle anthologies like... I I honestly think what what they were trying to do was something that Ryan Murphy did, like decades later with American Horror Story with each, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and I could honestly see if they would have made more like standalone films that they probably would have like made it like in the same universe, um, where there's sure. like, a, like a whole collective universe of of like Halloween themed movies. And I mean, I love Michael Myers. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm glad that we got like the sequels with him. But like, it always makes me like kind of sad that we didn't get some really cool standalone Halloween themed movies. Also. Oh, totally. I I do mourn yeah. the movies that never were. But just stop calling it Halloween three. It pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I get that. Um. I mean, I feel like you just like spin off like they did with that spiral movie that spun off from Saw recently. Uh, where it's like, yeah, just do like from the book of Halloween or something, or that's directly, but something better than that, you right, know? Yeah, or something better sure. than that movie because that was bad. I it was it. bad, but on the plus side, it's also over. So <laughs> <laughs> I do want to go back to um, like 
Mike, you mentioned that you had some some uh, notes on the gender politics of Halloween. Yeah, so I think it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Like, there, um, I mean, again, this is something that I feel like you can watch a hundred times. Maybe you pick up on it like subconsciously, but like, there's a lot of, um, well, I mean, like, the knife is very phallic. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like an obvious one. But I, I think it's so interesting when like there's different. Um, or what we consider um, prototypical female things that Laurie um, takes to fight Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. You have the clothes hanger that she, um, you know, stabs him with and takes his knife, takes what essentially is his phallic. Um, and then what's really more interesting is the knitting needle, mm-hmm. like a little bit later on. Um, I'm glad you're mentioning this, yeah. Yeah, and again, I mean, even the knitting needle, just even outside of just being like, quote unquote, traditional female iconography is also very phallic. Um, Mm -hmm. So like when she wields his knife, I like that's, I think, I, I can't imagine that it's not, I mean, like, everything is so meticulous in that movie. I can't imagine that it didn't register. Uh, a thing to kind of add to that, too, is it's also interesting because if you look at because it's not just any type of knife, it's not a machete. It's not a um, there's a billion different types of bladed things. Right. right. But it's, it's specifically his iconic thing is like a kitchen knife. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is a phallic object, but from specifically a traditionally gendered space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I. I. I'm glad you you mentioned that because I didn't even really take it a step further, but you're like a hundred percent right. Um, I mean, because I mean, you know, in the flashback as a kid, I mean, you see him quite literally grabbing a kitchen knife, mm-hmm. which fun fact was Deborah Hill's hand. Oh, yeah. Grabs the knife. Um, see, most facts are fun. That is the, the yeah, motto of you, today's it's episode. It's the most part. I mean, are we just going most? like over 50% of facts or are we like 90% of facts? I would say like like most facts about good things are fun. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> Halloween's a good thing. Learning more about it is always fun. There's no Fuck bad yeah. story. It's awesome. But I'm if here it's for like, this. <laughs> but it's like a Bring fact the about facts some things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it's like a, like a tr- movie that should have been good or... And wasn't somehow. Those facts are sometimes a little more like womp womp. <laughs> and I, I think like it's really interesting when you kind of like dig into the urban legend of um, like, did you check on the children? I mean, that's also kind of very like. I mean, it kind of comes from this like, well, I guess it would be like second wave feminism and, you know, warning women to be more maternal and and be more caregiving um well it's it's also kind of interesting too because uh, so laurie strode is um if we're going to compare for example to like ripley right mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. alien protagonist badass Gorney weaver legend uh that character was originally written for uh uh you know a, a man and then ridley scott wisely 
was like, fuck that. And then cast the best person, which was Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. And so her character is a very non-traditionally, like non-stereotyped character. Where like, she's a woman, she's she's maternal, she'll, you know, look after children and, and whatever. But she's also like a, you know, like a complete badass that'll like kill a fucker you know Mm -hmm, if they if mm -hmm. they threaten whoever she's protecting or herself um laurie strode's character starts off very traditionally gendered Mm -hmm. like she's a babysitter she's very meek she has all these stereotypical traits but in the process of warring against this like evil force of nature becomes what she she meets the situation and becomes what she needs to to like hunt a punk down you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so she has a really cool arc uh, yeah. through the series yeah she totally and does just to throw something in real quick i always think it's so interesting and i wish i could take credit for this um like realization but i think it was one of the documentaries that was saying about how do you remember like that scene where you know Lori's off on her own and she's like she's singing to herself um I wish I had you all alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he appears, and I mean, it's almost like she like wills him into being. Like she wants a midnight lover, and she gets it in the worst kind of possible way. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it's not like she literally manifests him, but like in a metaphorical kind of right way it's it's such an interesting reading and again like it's back to what y'all were saying about how this movie's so malleable but yet so richly constructed that you can kind of interpret it in different ways but it still doesn't feel like it's underwritten right yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah and i i i do appreciate one of the things and this is probably my last point on this but like i appreciate and i wonder how much deborah hill was involved in the um the writing of the the actual kill scenes or the thrilling the suspenseful scenes before kills um Mm -hmm. because there is that sense of power that you kind of talked about where men typically have this the this power power over women in almost every circumstance and especially physically and in the movie we have a lot of women who are alone until unless they're doing sexy times but generally they're alone and there's they go into situations where they are powerless because they are half naked you know making popcorn by herself in the kitchen while she's on the phone Right. Vulnerable, exactly. And then you have this sense of someone is just outside watching you while you are vulnerable. Um, it's a very, very like old tale as old as time power dynamic of a man with power is stalking a woman without it, you know, quote unquote, right? And then you have, um, you know, Laurie Strode same thing being watched from out you know outside of the house um 
and then eventually having to get into a physical physical altercation with this very strong man who has power over her like it's i feel like those those interactions rang very true to mm-hmm. like experience and fear and the way that you feel in those situations like being at home by yourself very vulnerable and you hear something outside and you're like oh my god i'm gonna die there's somebody out there <laughs> i'm absolutely mm. going to die and then in the movie it it happens and because it's so realistic the movie just has that much more weight for me as opposed to yeah. the very typical like oh this girl is like you know at home with all the doors open and this guy comes in and makes noises and she just happens to not hear it. And then he, he comes in and gets in a physical altercation with her, but she kind of quote unquote, like likes it question mark before she Mm -hmm. dies. Like all those two dimensional slasher bullshit. And then like these girls in lingerie, like orgasmically screaming as they're being slashed. It just makes Mm -hmm. me want to vomit all over the place. But in Halloween, it is not like that. And no, I, I no. love that. And I just wonder, you know, m- maybe John Carpenter, you know, had those visions himself. But I think that there was some, like, uh, there was a clear benefit to having mu- multiple genders in the writing process. Yeah. So yeah. that you could get a well-rounded, like, experience or portrayal of what these scenes would actually feel yeah. like and what would be most terrifying. So y'all Absolutely. can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I know I feel like I've seen interviews with her where she said she wrote a lot of the, the teenage girl stuff and yeah, she did. John, I guess did a lot of the like, I guess kill stuff. But then I know that they did collaborate on like what would be like the scariest thing for example like i think they were like brainstorming and they came up with like well what if you saw your you know boyfriend but he was wearing a uh bed sheet or something and mm-hmm. yeah so, or like a car scene i check my back seat every single fucking yeah, time i yeah. get into oh, yeah. my car especially at night because of this movie <laughs> like well, I have a story, by the way. Um, but first, before I tell you the story, I want to say that I'm so glad that you brought that up about your perspective, because it reminds me of there's this Carpenter quote where he. Um, uh, I wish I could find the quote again, but I didn't remember until now um, where he was talking about why. Because people debate why, like, if it's supposed to be anti-sex, that he's, like, having people getting killed during sex, right? Mm-hmm. But his reasoning for it was not puritanical. He's like, no, that's just a point where you're vulnerable because you're distracted. That's mm-hmm. why people who are drunk are victims to Michael Myers. It's not because I'm against these things. It's because you are very vulnerable in those moments. And that's, of course, when Michael Myers would strike. Yeah. Right, absolutely. It's a it's a definitely a point of vulnerability. And right. I don't feel like in the in the in the movie that he's like really focusing on the sex, like all the sex scenes, I mean, mm-hmm. they're hilariously short, like hilariously. Mm-hmm. So you're like uh, that clearly wasn't what I was supposed to be focusing on. It is just 
a way to get people really, really relaxed in right. a vulnerable unarmed. state. Unarmed, right. not, you know, I'm going to, I guess, smoke in someone else's bed after we just had 30 second sex in it. And I'm just going to relax here while he go gets drinks because it, whatever, like, yeah. you know, that that's not a time that you're like on edge or you're paying right. attention. Right. It's, it's another way in which the movie works and is excellent for the same reason that Jaws works and is excellent, right? Because, mm-hmm. okay, in Jaws, you have bright sunlight, warm beaches, makes everyone who's there, enjo- almost everyone enjoys it, right? You might mm-hmm. not like the sand being in your eyes, I don't know. But but it's like generally like a laid back time mm-hmm. where what's going to go wrong as long as you don't drown and you're not prone to, right? Mm-hmm. So... A shark attack is like a, th- a frightening violation uh, of when you think you're safe and you're vulnerable, right? Like it can swim far better than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't see it. You're unarmed. You're unarmored. You're unprotected, right? Yeah. It's the same thing that you're mentioning in the, you know, like in all these situations, people are in the comfort of their own home. People are drinking or they're having sex or they're doing things that suggest you don't have sex in an area where you're you don't where you feel a threat right right like for yourself not really (laughs) there's plenty of like slash movies where they do that it's like oh let's let's go fuck in this crypt you know but then that's just right but also i feel like if you (laughs) Because some people do like to do that because it like break it's taboo right yeah but ultimately you do it to my understanding is that it's done to break the taboo, right? Mm -hmm. Not because they think something bad will happen to them. And that fear is enticing. Like they wouldn't screw in a crypt if they thought like they were actually in danger. Right. You know? And so like, there's always this presumption of safety and the violation of that, where you should be most safe and most open Mm -hmm. is like probably part of the reason why it caught like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just, sorry, one more scene that I, that I feel is worth right. mentioning in this vein is, um, is that laundry scene a hundred percent like that. Yeah. I think might've scared me the most mm. like that scene freaked me right out because I used to live in the country and I remember having to like go to certain parts of the house in the middle of the night and everything's quiet. And then like, what if I get locked in here? You know, like, so there's like this element of danger that is totally real and natural. And then plus Michael Myers, the threat of him outside, which she didn't know, but we did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Right. Anyway, I, I just keep thinking about all of these vulnerable situations. I'm so glad you mentioned that, though, because that's, I think, um, uh, incredibly, uh, it speaks to the, 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 the eternal, like, how much the film works mm-hmm. and why it was so effective. And you're right. I feel like there's uh, this baseline of. It's just like a a timeless way to approach a a scary killer because it is, you know, we all do that, you know, like we all just like hang out in when we think we're alone in we're not at threat all the time, you know, like got to have a weapon ready. 
<laughs> right. Um, and those that are more likely to be attacked have are are like have a natural understanding of what it feels like to to be like, wait, did I hear somebody outside? Mm-hmm. And it's not, are they going to come in and they might come in and kill me, but they could just come in and rape me too. You know, like there, there are multiple layers to, sure. you know, how you might fear an intruder, um, which of course could happen to anybody. Of course, like anybody could be raped. A dude sure. could be, you know, assaulted. Mm-hmm. Um, but st- there's just that aspect of gender that is interesting and worth noting. Absolutely. I'm so glad you did. Um, do you all want to hear a really creepy story that actually happened to me? Oh, my God. Let's yes. do it. And this is actually something that this happened while I was in grad school. So I had a, a buddy. I won't name him because I don't have his consent to tell the story. So I'll keep it vague. But we would he, he was like my like movie buddy. Right. Like we would go see you know, Marvel movies, sci fi stuff, whatever was cool that came out. So I biked. I didn't have a car at that time. So so he picked me up in his car and we met on campus. And so just when we entered the like we both got in the car at the same time and then the door had opened and this woman slides into the back seat and shuts the door. I hadn't weirdly while I was talking to him and getting in the car, I didn't see her at any point. I don't know where she fucking came from. So I thought, oh, I don't know everybody he knows. Like, we're good friends, but, like, you know, you have all these different classes. He does stuff outside of grad school. So I don't know. Maybe he invited a friend. So whatever. I was like, oh, hi. Um, You know, kind of talking as he takes off and we're whatever. And then she starts really, like, trying to bum a cigarette. I don't smoke. Neither does my friend. And so... At a certain point, she gets kind of really aggressive about, oh, well, could you, like, get me cigarettes? And at this point, my my feelers are up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this person's really unhinged. But I'm still, like, in the polite vein because I don't know if my friend has a weird friend. You don't know. Yeah, right. you don't want to, like, step out Assume. like that. Yeah. Right, right. Especially because, like, grad school, everybody's fucking qu- everybody's quirky in grad school, you know? You never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, and then, so at a certain point, though, I look over and he's like, we're taking off and he's looking at me and I can just, he does not know this weird chick. Oh, I could just tell that he was worried. And I'm like, okay. And then I take the cue is like, Hey, um, Hey, can you uh, just pull over to, there was like a coffee shop. It's called Dutch bros. I was like, Hey, could you just pull over the Dutch bros real quick? And he's like, okay, pull over. And then I asked this woman to get out of the car. And after just a little bit of a vocal altercation, she did. And then we take off. And he's like, did you know her? And I'm like, I thought you knew her. And he's like, no, she just slid in the backseat of the car when we got in. (laughs) This has never even occurred to me as a thing that a person would actually do. And it totally happened. Uh, Uh, So it can super happen. And tactically good on her for that timing but then i also thought because you know a person's behind you it's really creepy because like you don't know they could have like a weapon to you like you're kind of unguarded but i also thought after the fact it was really not a it's kind of a tactical fail on her part because it's not 
smart for a woman to get in a car with two dudes she doesn't know? Nope. But also, like, yeah, I don't, I guess this just cements in my mind, like, um, I was, I once lived in a household where we just had this rule internally where we would always acknowledge people when they come through the door. Like, when they come home, you sure. don't, you like, someone walks in, you say, hey, and it, that's all, it, it's not like, you don't have to engage in conversation, you just acknowledge their existence, right? Instead right. of, like, yes. just ignoring that person coming in it's hospitality yeah and and just like human decency and also that would save you in a situation like this because you right. acknowledge this person and be like hey and then the other person would have an opportunity to look over them and be like hey <laughs> right right who, who are you <laughs> like who the uh who the fuck are you and why <laughs> why are you getting into this vehicle <laughs> right exactly and just like like, because my friend just thought that she was with me, and right. I thought, well, she was with my friend, and I just exactly. happened to see her. And so we were just, like, both making assumptions, like, is this, is this weird person with you? Well, okay. That's what <laughs> serial killers feed on. I know. I could have gotten, I really did think that day, like, I could have gotten serial killed. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she could have even been doing the, uh, like, the stalking and planning stuff that Michael Myers was doing in the beginning and, like, pieced oh, together God. that, that <laughs> your friend Craig was actually picking someone up and she just took the place of that person. Mm-hmm. And then she could have oh, done. Oh, shit. It's just got she could have yeah. followed you guys, like, uh, wherever you went. Yeah, yeah. could have. Yeah. I don't know that she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, like, my horror-honed feelers at a certain point were like, okay, this is too weird. We need to pull over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, well, I'm glad you're alive. I could Thank tell you. you some crazy stories working um, at a... Um, I'll just say... I won't mention the convenience store, but a convenience store. Um yeah, crazy stuff. I mean, especially oh, sure. when I would work um like really weird hours like um like we used to be 24 hours, so I would work like the graveyard shift and you would see some real creatures come out. Uh. <laughs> um yeah, uh I won't get into it cuz that that almost could be like a whole episode, but it Yeah, we should have like a real experiences episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, um, you know, just to wrap up like this part of it, but like, was there anything else kind of gendered, like specific that y'all uh, had like noticed in the film that we didn't touch on yet? Um, I, I was going to mention uh, when we were talking about uh, how like, the kitchen knife is like coming from as coming from a gendered space where Michael is the interloper, like he's coming into that. Um, in the beginning of the f- of the, f- the original Halloween, um, when he walks towards his sister with a knife, uh, he goes into her room, right? Mm-hmm. So he's actively invading her space, which mm-hmm. uh, is her bedroom, which is in, in the lens of, you know, a kitchen having like a gendered uh, alignment in the time of like the the point in time of history 
that this is taking place in, like post um, first and second, for post first and second generation feminism, um, where Michael is both like physically and psychologically like penetrating the space that is mm-hmm. uh, a very personal membrane, where mm-hmm. uh, his sister assumes for herself at least is a safe space and then he mm-hmm. um also very literally just stabs and penetrates her as well and she too was half naked which is another yeah. point of vulnerability right, right. but like a, a level of vulnerability that like anyone would like identify with in their bedroom you uh, know? of course yeah. and like it happened at night i think what she was getting ready for halloween i think because michael no, had was already after put on... she had very short sex with some guy that came over <laughs> oh, okay there we go yeah so that that even imparts like the 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 marriage of like uh love making and death that michael myers and later on the shape will um associate yeah mm-hmm. there's even like going to the scene where he is wearing the sheet with the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's <clears throat> he's almost acting as like that surrogate boyfriend, like just to, uh, for lack of a better term, like try wearing his skin for just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that that character who keeps like snarkily remarking how like it's like where's my beer like. Like, that's real cute, but you didn't get me my beer. And, like, she's just uh, laying in the bed, smoking a cigarette. Um, I think there's something that Michael Myers as a person didn't ultimately like about her being that way. Like, maybe Mm. he was actually giving someone, like, a chance to just let him walk away and just not uh, have to kill him. But mm-hmm. she was kind of a like a dick to him, and he was like, "Well, if she's gonna treat someone that uh, is who she thinks is her boyfriend, because like he's still under that sheet, then like maybe she doesn't deserve, you know, to continue living." Like maybe oh, this- that's an interesting read. I feel that, I yeah. feel like that puts a lot of morality in, in behind that mask of Michael Myers. Like the, his in, his own internal morality, which I yeah. hadn't considered. I don't know that I think he, that he has any. Well, no. Like th- there might have been some some sort of primitive like um, apprehension, almost, or mm-hmm. like that moment where you're standing on a clearing. You know, we've all been there when we're hunting. Uh, like we're standing on a clearing, and then you see like this this game, and then you you don't know if it's gonna move or not. You don't know if it sees you, but it knows that something's happening in the general area where you're standing. And mm-hmm. like you have some protection from a facade. And for mm-hmm. Michael Myers, like he has his normal his normal facade where like he's wearing the mask and he's wearing the jumpsuit, but he also has that extra layer of the ghost sheet that essentially like mm-hmm. camouflages him. So he's he becomes a surrogate human. To me, mm. in that scene, interesting. So he he yeah, gets like, to make a human decision 
And that's like the only one that we see. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's the only one. Uh, but there, there are some over the series, you know, moments where like you can see that he's deciding. Yeah. yeah. And he's not just like, I see a person, I kill a person. But all of those um, moments in, in future movies stem from this scene. Exactly. 100%. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah so f- and, and the interesting thing is because it is very mysterious, like what his his process of decision is. Like, is he deciding, like, does this person deserve to die? Is he deciding, like, this is a good time to kill this person? And tactically, yeah, sounds right. Or is he just like, am I bored or not? Mm, Mm -hmm. This is boring. Like, (laughs) you have no idea. Right? I mean, there's Um, something kind of, like, childlike about him, too, which, again, I think lines up with maybe, you know, if, uh, you know, he's been essentially locked up and his maybe development has been arrested somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, like some of it just seems in a morbid way, kind of playful. Um, yeah, definitely, you know, stabbing Bob and then looking back and kind of admiring his handiwork is mm-hmm. something that, is that the course- only man that he killed. No, the mechanic or the driver. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, it's the only man we see him kill. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Right. That's another thing that kind of I forgive it for this, but like they kind of gloss over the fact that he just knows how to operate like a car and machinery like that because he was admitted when he was a kid, right? So he yeah, definitely exactly. would have. Would not have had driving lessons. And I love that they have, they know that's a plot hole because they have characters be like, how can he drive a car? I don't know. He's doing a good job. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so they kind of like say that like maybe the locals showed him how to drive. Um, Oh, how? And when would they have done that? Well, I, so it doesn't bother me because they kind of, I'd like them more that they try to address it address it without just i mean i don't quite see it like like lampshading it um no like, no yeah. I, I don't either um it's just it does, it, it's yeah, a fun thing that like i noticed yeah. is it's almost like it, it doesn't quite you know mesh with basically how he gets there which is he drives like he takes the man and then right. he steals a station wagon and then he kind of just drives around uh the town of Haddonfield and yeah. Like Plus, on people. I honestly don't think that his driving is even really that great. I mean, you never see it very skillful, so I can kind yeah. of buy that he's in a rudimentary sense just getting operating it because sure. I mean, he's literally has the motions down. It's not that he's acing agility courses. Well, my, uh, my my explanation, that's a fair point. My explanation is basically that, like, because, okay, he goes from killing no people to set one day, like, oh, gonna kill, gonna kill somebody when he's six, you know? Um, so when your evil kicks in, it comes with a basic set of driving skills. <laughs> that's but my see, official explanation. But <laughs> is it manual or automatic? Well, he was That's most likely driving with a clutch, so wow. most likely manual. 
He got manual yeah. lessons. Yeah. Evil drives know, tonight. Like... There you go. <laughs> well, tonight. Can we chant it... that, Luna? Is that okay? No. It's not. <laughs> if I hear that <laughs> phrase in that cadence. No. What, evil drives time. tonight? Evil drives tonight. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, it's slightly better than evil dies tonight, I guess. Or like at the Michael Myers at a pool, like evil dives tonight. Oh, God. Or what if it was in The Lion like King dies. and it'd be like, the evil dies tonight. <laughs> I mean, that's different. I would be okay with that. <laughs> Until there was a movie where 400 people started singing that over and over for two oh, hours. Oh, God. Like that ending of the, the Simpsons episode where like... Everyone almost died, and then they're just singing K Sarah Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you were talking about when they were talking, they were started singing a chorus line of people. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of episodes where they just break into song. Um, you no, know? that's true. So, okay, what is one thing that you did all like about Halloween Kills? Um, just to put a but positive spin no on. spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers because okay. I actually yeah. I still have not seen it. Oh yeah! Oh so, shit! Spoiler free. What was something y'all? Okay, liked? that's fine. I I I can do that. Um, one thing that I I unironically that I genuinely just liked was they got um, Michael Myers right. Like yeah. the whole. This isn't spoiling it for Andre, I'm sure, because um, uh, it's pretty obvious that it kind of has a mob ruley plot thread right yeah yeah it's in all of the yeah. trailers everyone talked about it it's in the trailers um the that part i don't like how they executed but the michael part with the brutality of the kills you can watch him like make decisions he like sets up tableaus with his kills um they really did capture that is he something more than a man or is he not um and I thought they did that part of it very, very well. Yep. I agree. I think that's the only thing I can say without spoiling it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I will say that I know it won't because the Academy hates horror films. Um, but that makeup for Dr. Loomis. Yeah. That it's not a deep fake, that that's makeup is unfucking credible. Yeah, it's like the so cool for a practical. Yep. I mean, I so they can do like these like deep fake things like really well. Like they did a really nice job with um, Princess Leia in Rogue One. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> was that about I, Rogue One or about Princess Leia? It was about the 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 look how she looked she looked plastic she looked and then her like they haven't figured out how to make lips move so she just kind of looks like wait i have a question so did she did she not look plastic in the original trilogy i'm just kidding she she looked more plastic in this uh, holiday special for sure but (laughs) i think i've only been watching action oh man I think I've only accidentally been watching um, action figure reenactments of the original trilogy because I was like, that's right. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying, though, Mike. Like, it, it, given what technology has been, like, that was a really great, like, a huge leap in what 
things have looked like when they try to do that. And also, like, the great thing about this is that as technology gets better, they'll just shove it in there and make it look better. Yeah, um, I mean, I... Because it's, it's all digital. But yeah. anyway, go ahead with your point. Sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, I thought that that was kind of amazing, though, just that they were able to just get somebody that looked like him. Because, I mean, Donald Pleasance had a very unique look. I mean, he 100%. was definitely a legendary character actor long before um, Halloween. But, um, yeah, how do you even, like, make somebody look like Donald Pleasance? I mean, it's, like, wild to think that you have somebody that is walking around this planet that vaguely looks like Dr. Loomis, like, enough to just no. do prosthetics. Um it's so good. Now, I, I feel like, um, you know, like for a while, the internet was freaked out that everything was cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Now I'm worried. What, what, Andre? Oh, like the, the, the Loomis mask that, I mean, it, it did start <laughs> floating around on the internet. So I, I did see it. I, I had no idea <laughs> yeah. that it was in the movie or that people were just like accusing it of being bad CGI. So, whatever. Uh, well, now you know what that was about. Um, yep. <laughs> but is Loomis uh, cake? But that, that's what I wonder now. I was like, I cut him like, five, six Loomis times. Cake? Six times I cut him. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps getting back up. I, I, I keep thinking. I keep thinking about how like Christopher Lee turned down the role of Doctor Loomis. No, and like yeah. how how different of a movie that would have been. That would have been so movie, so so different. I'm glad, I'm um, glad that didn't happen because yeah, I feel like like that would have competed for the attention a little bit more. Yeah, 100. percent Yeah. Well, like well, I've seen some movies with Christopher Lee in it where like he does not save the movie. No, um, Christopher Lee like, has been in a billion films. Yeah. Yes, one literal billion. But I, I think that like like <laughs> the so thing true. about Doctor Loop, like I, I feel like what what presence bl- brings to it is just like how like even though he's a quote unquote doctor, he still has this very unhinged quality where like you get that he's supposed to be the good guy, but like I, I mean they explore this more in the series. I mean especially like for. And then five, when he just kind of goes all all out crazy, but yeah, like there's something about this very thin line that Loomis could easily be Michael Myers. Um, like you know, it's almost Joker esque, where you know, if Loomis had one bad day, uh, he because well, be he right is kind and... of like that about Michael Myers, you know. He's yeah. like, everyone's like, well, no, we should just reincarcerate him. We're like, no, no, no. I've seen him. I'm killing him. I'm yeah, killing that like son of a bitch. That bitch is going to die. I'm like, calm yeah. down, man. Like, there's this fanatical, almost like completely unhinged obsession because I feel like it's strongly hinted that like Loomis was the only one that could see behind the veil of Michael Myers. Right. Which mm-hmm. is so yeah. interesting because you have that character that's like, you know, no, I've seen behind his eyes and there's nothing there. Yeah, he gives like the facade of humanity. 
Um, yeah. And I feel like almost like, again, it, it almost, you know, is almost like, almost like mythological, right? That like he can mm-hmm. kind of like he's cursed with seeing this kind of evil. And how do you deal with that as a rational doctor of all people? Like it almost would drive you crazy, right? Like if you actually saw like evil incarnate in the face of like a six-year-old child, like that would fuck you up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, these are all like not fu- um, like written in stone. It's like, what's so interesting about this series being so um, malleable. Mm-hmm. Um, um. Yeah, I, I really love that aspect of it. And I love that Loomis's character um, is always a voice for that discussion of, like, what the hell is this, like, murder machine? Uh, yeah. And and he's... He always gives so much gravitas to it. Yeah. And I feel like Christopher Lee would have brought, like, that same kind of polish and... I mean, I, I no doubt he would have been like good in it, but like I feel like you have that like very stiff like Britishness um, that Lee would have probably have brought to it. That like again, you would have had that like really earnest kind of seriousness. But again, I feel like what Pleasance brings to it is just this slightly unhinged like quality that i just don't think lee would have because i mean especially when the series goes on i don't know like would lee have quite taken loomis to like such extremes or would it just been very kind of matter of fact i mean what do y'all think i think it's hard to say you know like because because everything lee does has that like shakespeare quality you know Mm -hmm. like he's good but he's larger than life yeah but and i don't i just don't see presence, like lee playing it that big like sometimes i mean not not necessarily the first like it's film. Hard for him not to yeah like I, mean, and I think not... he's an excellent actor i he's one of my favorites every time i see him fucking love him but i feel like donald pleasance has a little bit more of that like rabid unhingedness yeah yeah um we're like it's like a gritty version mm-hmm. like you could even say that uh Pleasance could have been like trying to emulate some of like Christopher Lee's um, almost like uh, super spirited, almost over the top um, acting, but like turning it into something that works for uh, for Loomis's character, where like when he's freaking out about like when he finds out that Michael Myers is now either on his way or in Haddonfield somewhere like something like a switch just like clicks on for him and he's able Mm -hmm. to turn into like this, like not necessarily wacky, but like, um, yeah, I mean, uh, unhinged is pretty much the, the term to describe him. Um, yeah. Or like he, he recognizes his own agency, but like, he's sort of acting like, um, uh, like a loose cannon cop that 
his, yeah. he's not going to wait for the paperwork. He's not going <laughs> to talk to the chief of police <laughs> yeah, until he's, shit. you know, um, until he's infiltrated the house and, you know, it's like got to do yeah. like what has to be done, but not in that cliched of a way. But yeah. yeah. And also listen, like could Christopher, like, I love Christopher Lee. He was amazing, a legend, but could he have delivered the line cookie woman in this, with the same gravitas as Donald Pleasance? Uh, not in the what? same way. We'll never know. Um, we'll never know. <laughs> so, um, I, I feel like at I feel like at Cookie Woman, we're not. Mike, I'm sorry, we're not going to get better than Cookie Woman. Like I know like, it, it probably sounds like I just had a stroke, but I didn't. So in Halloween Five, like there's this ridiculous line, and I haven't seen Halloween Five in a while. Um, where he's like, Pleasance is like talking about the cookie woman and it's so ridiculous that whole movie so like fucking ridiculous it's so ridiculous i kind of love it but i don't um (laughs) but yeah i don't know i mean i love lee so much i just don't i feel like it would have been a miscast um like i feel like it was a perfect actor to kind of straddle that line of hero villain um that i know lee could do i'm not saying that he 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 couldn't have that range but there's just something even just in pleasance's appearance that is like it looks like he's just always on the edge of being on the edge yeah i feel like um like there's there's a reason why he's like like blofeld right like he's one of arguably the like the most classic Bond villains of all time. Um, yeah. Motherfucking Donald Pleasance, you know? <laughs> yeah, he has this composure about him where, like, he could just turn on a dime into yeah. into being, like, uh, the, like, most warm, like, amazing and, like, hospitable person. Or he could go the complete opposite direction and just be just so malicious and, like, Mm-hmm. outwardly um just destructive and terrifying at the same time but his his in between is just such uh like a a, a thin narrow line that yeah. he sort of expertly seesaws over and mm. yeah i like i like i think one of his best moments in the as a character i think is at the end of part 4 when he sees you know um Jamie um almost becoming young Michael Myers and this whole cycle starting over again. And I mean it's heartbreaking, I think. Like he feels like he basically snaps. Um so I don't know. I you know again, you know, Pleasance has this like He's such a great actor, even when he's being hammy, like you you're just so transfixed by him that you can't help but just be with him even if he's chewing the scenery. Um and I, I don't mean that and necessarily in a bad way. Um No, I think I think that he's great. Um I think that he was definitely the right choice for the role because he has this um I just feel like even at his most 
uh, outlandish. Lee feels very composed, right? And Loomis's um, uh, erratic uh, energy, his like obsessive feverishness, is is a real asset um, to the film. But at that though, I, I feel like uh, we should kind of wrap this discussion because I could talk about Halloween all day and I don't have the ability to do that today. So, um, (laughs) but it has been, uh, an excellent discussion and we got to a lot of things that, uh, I, I really think are important to understanding it and to understanding why the shape is, can be even considered a monster, you know, because they leave open the question if he's something other than human. And I think that's a powerful thing to wrestle through and what, and why the series and the character are so malleable. Mm-hmm. Um, if, yeah. I mean, you could almost, I mean, you could quite literally endlessly talk about this and debate it, but, um, absolutely can. I mean, I feel um, like we kind of touched on all like the really important talking points. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I would just want to point out one thing that I, I just want to yeah. mention based on like the the feverishness of like Loomis and like his tracking Michael Myers uh totally resonated with me that like this is it's kind of like Carpenter's like then modern like retelling of like a a Frankenstein story where like the Mm -hmm. doctor who is like responsible for this creature the creature is let loose and then yes um that even goes all the way to and I know I still haven't seen it as of this episode but in Halloween Kills the whole like angry mob thing, like when I go kill the monster and then like fire plays a big part in that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's like with the original, uh, the house is very much like that haunted house that people tell you not to go to, especially yeah. around like Halloween. I mean, again, you know, uh, and I'll make this super quick, but I feel like what the one thing that was kind of cool about zombies, two films is they really hit that point home with, Loomis feeling like he let Michael down and that he was he quite literally says in the movie, you know, I feel like I failed you and yeah. he has that kind of guilt that again, I feel like when people talk about the zombie halloweens, they don't they tend to ignore that there's some really thematically interesting things, you know, even though again, it's far well, from then, like I would say that even um, like he feels like he let Michael down and then also by doing so let the world down because he couldn't fix Michael. So this thing is unleashed upon us. Yeah. So, um, but uh, very insightful. Um, Yeah. uh, I feel like, man, I just watched it. I kind of want to watch it again, but uh anyway it's a classic it's a wonderful film uh i really love the franchise even at its worst i love it um Sweet motherfucker folks at home <laughs> i was just gonna Thank say you. that <laughs> um and don't worry folks at home uh we're gonna get luna to come around on halloween three that's my new project <laughs> and evil dies tonight um, just so you know evil drives uh, tonight we will find the variation that does the trick. Uh, but thank you for joining us on this discussion of one of our favorite classic slashers uh, and all of its windy weaviness. And uh, 
lovely co-hosts, please tell the folks at home how they can find you. Uh, who would like to go first? Uh, I'll go real quick. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at StrangeCinema65. Um, my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema, is on Amazon. And I also am on Letterboxd at Kubrick655321. Love it. Thank you so much. Um, Luna? Yeah, yeah, you can find me on um, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at L-U-N-A underscore M-I-N-U-I-T. And uh, I'll be posting some sort of spooky photo for um, for Halloween and stay tuned for new performances that will be coming up. Thank you so much, as always. Um, Andre? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at demoni disco and um i guess i've never really plugged my instagram on here but it's uh demon disc 2021 um i also write letterboxed reviews you can find me there through hamburger harry and i also have another place where i write reviews which is uh on medium.com under the name celluloid consomme love it Thank you so much. Um, I would uh, I would uh, advise everyone check out all of their their excellent stuff. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm most active there at Real Jeff Ewing, like Film Real R E E L. And you can find me here because you already did. Or you can find us behind us. you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or you I can sometimes find us behind can you be found... down the dark alleyway. Yeah. Yeah, like thank you, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh you sometimes might also find me in in various sewers and or out of popping out of various um eerie children's pop-up yeah. books sometimes i'm just your paralysis demon for the for the evening or you're just filling <laughs> in for ratma you know someone's got to oh, clean those man. i'm just baba ducking <laughs> it up over here <laughs> You know, to be fair, the fashion's just there. Um, Okay, thank you for joining us, folks at home. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive.